Section 4 of Three Science Fiction Novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4 of Enchantress of Venus. The street was empty. Nothing showed. Nothing stirred anywhere. Stark leaned over and pulled the girl to her feet, drawing her in under the shelter of the thatched eaves. Now then, he said, suppose you stop crying and tell me what this is all about. Presently, between gulps and hiccups, he got the story out of her. I'm Zareth, she said, Malthor's daughter. He's afraid of you because of what you did to him on the ship, so he ordered me to watch you in the square, when you would come out of the tavern. Then I was to follow you, and... She broke off, and Stark patted her shoulder. Go on. But a new thought had occurred to her. "'If I do, will you promise not to beat me, or?' She looked at his gun and shivered. "'I promise.' She studied his face, what she could see of it in the darkness, and then seemed to lose some of her fear. "'I was to stop you. I was to say what I've already said, about being Malthor's daughter and the rest of it, and then I was to say that he wanted me to lead you into an ambush while pretending to help you escape. But that I couldn't do it.' and would help you to escape anyhow, because I hated Malthor and the whole business about the lost ones. So you would believe me and follow me, and I would lead you into the ambush. She shook her head and began to cry again, quietly this time, and there was nothing of the woman about her at all now. She was just a child, very miserable and afraid. Stark was glad he had branded Malthor. But I can't lead you into the ambush, I do hate Malthor, even if he is my father, because he beats me. And the lost ones, she paused. Sometimes I hear them at night, chanting away out there beyond the mist. It's a very terrible sound. It is, said Stark. I've heard it. Who are the lost ones, Zareth? I can't tell you that, said Zareth. It's forbidden even to speak of them. And anyway, she finished honestly, I don't even know. People disappear, that's all. Not our own people of Sharoon, at least not very often. But strangers like you, and I'm sure my father goes off into the swamps to hunt among the tribes there, and I'm sure he comes back from some of his voyages with nothing in his hold but men from some captured ship. Why or what for, I don't know, except I've heard the chanting. They live out there in the Gulf, do they, the Lost Ones? They must. There are many islands there. And what of the Lahari, the Lords of Shiroon? Don't they know what's going on, or are they part of it? She shuddered and said, It's not for us to question the Lahari, or even to wonder what they do. Those who have are gone from Shiroon. Nobody knows where. Stark nodded. He was silent for a moment, thinking... Then Zareth's little hand touched his shoulder. "'Go,' she said. "'Lose yourself in the swamps. "'You're strong, and there's something about you different from other men. "'You may live to find your way through. "'No, I have something to do before I leave, Sharoon.' He took Zareth's damp fair head between his hands and kissed her on the forehead. "'You're a sweet child, Zareth, and a brave one. "'Tell Malthor that you did exactly as he told you.' "'and it was not your fault I wouldn't follow you.' "'He will beat me anyway,' said Zareth philosophically. "'But 
but perhaps not quite so hard. He'll have no reason to beat you at all, if you tell him the truth, that I would not go off with you because my mind was set on going to the castle of the Lahari. There was a long, long silence, while Zareth's eyes widened slowly in horror, and the rain beat on the thatch, and fog and thunder rolled together across Yeroon. To the castle? she whispered. Oh, no! Go into the swamps, or let Malthor take you, but don't go to the castle. She took hold of his arm, her fingers biting into his flesh with the urgency of her plea. You're a stranger. You don't know. Please, don't go up there. Why not? asked Stark. Are the Lahari demons? Do they devour men? He loosened her hands gently. You'd better go now. Tell your father where I am, if he wishes to come after me. Zareth backed away slowly, out into the rain, staring at him as though she had looked at someone standing on the brink of hell, not dead, but worse than dead. Wonder showed in her face, and through it a great yearning pity. She tried once to speak, then shook her head and turned away, breaking into a run as though she could not endure to look upon Stark any longer. In a second she was gone. Stark looked at her for a moment, strangely touched. Then he stepped out into the rain again, heading upward along the steep path that led to the castle of the lords of Shuroon. The mist was blinding. Stark had to feel his way, as he climbed higher, above the level of the town. He was lost in the sullen redness. A hot wind blew, and each flare of light turned the crimson fog into a hellish purple. The night was full of vast hissing, where the rain poured into the gulf. He stopped once to hide his gun in a cleft between the rocks. At length he stumbled against a carven pillar of black stone and found the gate that hung from it, a massive thing sheathed in metal. It was barred, and the pounding of his fists upon it made little sound. Then he saw the gong, a huge disc of beaten gold beside the gate. He picked up the hammer that lay there, and set the deep voice of the gong rolling out between the thunderbolts. A bear slit opened, and a man's eyes looked out at him. Stark dropped the hammer. "'Open up!' he shouted. "'I would speak with the Lahari.' From within he heard an echo of laughter. Scraps of voices came to him on the wind, and then more laughter. And then, slowly, the great valves of the gate creaked open, wide enough only to admit him. He stepped through, and the gateway shut behind him with a ringing clash. He stood in a huge open court. Enclosed within its walls was a village of thatched huts, with open sheds for cooking, and behind them were pens for stabling the beasts, the wingless dragons of the swamps that can be caught and broken to the goad. He saw only vague glimpses because of the fog. The men who had led him in clustered around him, thrusting him forward into the light that streamed from the huts. He would speak with the Lahari, one of them shouted, to the women and children who stood in the doorways watching. The words were picked up and tossed around the court, and a great burst of laughter went up. Stark eyed them, saying nothing. They were a puzzling breed. The men, obviously, were soldiers and guards to the Lahari, for they wore the harness of fighting men. As obviously these were their wives and children, 
all living behind the castle walls and having little to do with Sharoon. But it was their racial characteristics that surprised him. They had interbred with the pale tribes of the swamp edges that had peopled Sharoon, and there were many with milk-white hair and broad faces. Yet even these bore an alien stamp. Stark was puzzled, for the race he would have named was unknown here behind the mountains of White Cloud, and almost unknown anywhere on Venus a sea level, among the sweltering marshes and the eternal fogs. They stared at him even more curiously, remarking on his skin and his black hair and the unfamiliar modeling of his face. The women nudged each other and whispered, giggling, and one of them said aloud, "'They'll need a barrel-hoop to collar that neck.' The guards closed in around him. "'Well, if you wish to see the Lahari, you shall,' said the leader. "'But first we must make sure of you.' Spear-points ringed him round. Stark made no resistance while they stripped him of all he had, except for his shorts and sandals. He had expected that, and it amused him, for there was little enough for them to take. "'All right,' said the leader. "'Come on.' The whole village turned out in the rain to escort Stark to the castle door. There was about them the same ominous interest that the people of Sharoon had had, with one difference. They knew what was supposed to happen to him, knew all about it, and were therefore doubly appreciative of the game. A great doorway was square and plain, and yet neither crude nor ungraceful. The castle itself was built of the black stone, each block perfectly cut and fitted, and the door itself was sheathed in the same metal as the gate, darkened but not corroded. The leader of the guard cried out to the warder, "'Here is one who would speak with the Lahari.' The warder laughed, "'And so he shall. Their night is long and dull.' He flung open the heavy door and cried the word down the hallway. Stark could hear it echoing hollowly within, and presently from the shadows came servants clad in silks and wearing jeweled collars, and from the guttural sound of their laughter Stark knew that they had no tongues. Stark faltered then. The doorway loomed hollowly before him, and it came to him suddenly that evil lay behind it, and that perhaps Zareth was wiser than he when she warned him from the Lahari. Then he thought of Helvi, and of other things, and lost his fear in anger. Lightning burned the sky. The last cry of the dying storm shook the ground under his feet. He thrust the grinning warder aside and strode into the castle, bringing a veil of the red fog with him and did not listen to the closing of the door, which was stealthily and quiet as the footfall of approaching death. Torches burned here and there along the walls, and by their smoky glare he could see that the hallway was like the entrance, square and unadorned, faced with the black rock. It was high and wide, and there was about the architecture a calm, reflective dignity that had its own beauty in some ways more impressive than the sensuous loveliness of the ruined palaces he had seen on Mars. There were no carvings here, no paintings nor frescoes. It seemed that the builders had felt that the hall itself was enough, in its massive perfection of line and the somber gleam of polished stone. The only decoration was in the window embrasures. These were empty now, open to the sky with the red fog wreathing through them 
but there were still scraps of jewel-toned panes clinging to the fretwork to show what they had once been a strange feeling swept over stark because of his wild upbringing he was abnormally sensitive to the sort of impressions that most men receive either dully or not at all walking down the hall preceded by the tongueless creatures in their bright silks and blazing collars he was struck by a subtle difference in the place the castle itself was only an extension of the minds of its builders a dream shaped into reality stark felt that the dark cool curiously timeless dream had not originated in a mind like his own nor like that of any man he had ever seen then the end of the hall was reached the way barred by low broad doors of gold fashioned in the same chaste simplicity a soft scurrying of feet a shapeless tittering from the servants a glancing of malicious mocking eyes the golden door swung open and stark was in the presence of the lahari End of Part 4